guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a great weekend. So I've got a really scary, crazy fact to tell you. There are, including today, 12 Mondays, only 12 Mondays until election day. I was looking at my calendar and I was counting the Mondays for the reason that I'm about to tell you. And I could not believe it. I just kept counting. I went right past 12 and I said, wait, 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 I've got to back up November 3rd. Oh my goodness. There's only 12 Mondays until election day. So what I'm going to do until election day, every Monday is I am going to go through one issue and I am going to compare Trump and Pence versus Biden and Harris. And today we are going to talk about abortion. In the future, I will talk to you about the other issues that matter to me. And I will make a case for why I think they should matter to you, especially if you are a Christian. So today we'll talk about the issue of protecting unborn life, which is paramount for me, the cohesion of the family. So that means any policy that encourages or discourages the strength and togetherness of the nuclear family. That's of particular interest to me. That's a subject we'll be talking about on a future Monday. We'll be talking about religious liberty. I will also lump together other First Amendment issues as well on that episode, like free speech. We'll be talking about school choice. We'll be talking about foreign policy, especially in regards to China and why that's important and how the two tickets compare. Um, I will be talking about impartial and righteous justice. This includes the actions of the DOJ. It includes policing. It includes law and order. It includes policies that affect our prison system and how prisoners, criminals, and victims are treated. Uh, We'll be talking about the economy, especially as it pertains to small businesses and entrepreneurship and how the two sides and their policies match up. Uh, We'll be talking about the Second Amendment. We'll be talking about immigration. Uh, We will also talk about science and truth. So that means I um, am going to prioritize, uh, I'm going to prioritize the issue of objective reality and believing in science. And as you guys know, I'm going to lean toward the politicians that acknowledge biological reality. And so we will be talking about those things. And we will be talking about health care as well. And there will be, I think that leaves a couple more Mondays that are still available. And I haven't decided what issues we are going to talk about. You already know where I'm coming from. So I'm not hiding that from you guys. If you have followed me for any amount of time, if you have listened to my podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm a conservative evangelical who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. But you also know that I've been critical of Donald Trump when needed. There are indeed, as you guys know, things about Trump that I think are worth criticizing. There are things that I wish that he didn't say. There are things that I wish that he didn't do. And I am totally fine with criticizing him and uh, holding him accountable for the things that I think that he needs to be held accountable for. But you guys also know that he and his administration represent the values, um, represent the policies that I think are best for the country. And so we distinguish between Trump's personality and the policies that he and his administration represent. And by the way, I just want to make a side note. Both sides do this. So the Democratic side, they point to Trump and the things that he has said and the things that he has done. And they say, look, he doesn't represent any good values at all. He said and done all of these stupid and bad things and look at his past. And we over here say, 
yeah, you know, that's true. And I'm not going to deny that I don't like some of the things that he has said and done. I'm certainly not electing a savior. I'm not even necessarily electing a role model. And while it is ideal to have a president who represents all the values and the morals and the decency and the tact that you want him to, policies affect people's lives much more than Trump's tweets do and much more than his personality does and much more than his gaffes do. And yet on the other side, they say the same thing and they don't recognize that they are making the same justifications for Biden that we are making for voting for Donald Trump. And yet they're pointing fingers to us saying, how can you vote for this guy? You are voting for him, basically saying that racism is okay, saying that sexism is okay. All of these things that they accuse uh, Donald Trump of due to sometimes decontextualized quotes, sometimes just... uh, complete speculation. And sometimes it's actually true. The things that he says um, are not wise, but they point fingers at him and they say, how can you be okay with this? And yet they don't point the same fingers at Biden, who has made several gaffes, especially recently, that have been completely derogatory towards black people, saying that all black people think the same, unlike Hispanic people, saying that if you don't vote for him, that you ain't black. I mean, he's made uh, a lot of gaffes recently and just uh, throughout his political history. Remember, Several years ago when he was campaigning um, uh, against Mitt Romney alongside Barack Obama, he said to a group of black people that Mitt Romney going to put y'all back in chains. I mean, how condescending can you possibly be? And of course, a lot of progressives, a lot of people on the left also don't like his uh, his record on criminal justice and how, quote, tough on crime he was uh, in the 90s and even before that. So you are also... Uh, turning past all of the things that you could accuse Biden of doing that you could characterize as racist. You are also overlooking the fact that he was accused by one of his staffers, Tara Reid, of sexually assault, of sexually assaulting her. You are also looking past the many accusations of sexual harassment, and you are looking past the fact that he is in cognitive decline. So we can just both, can we just both recognize for a second that both of us are looking past some flaws that both of our candidates have, and we are accepting the fact that their uh, administration is going to represent policies that we believe in. I just think it's highly hypocritical to say that conservatives are doing that with their candidate, but that Democrats aren't doing that with their candidate. We both are to a degree. Now, I personally believe that Democrats are actually doing that more than Republicans are in regards to Trump. Um, But let's just agree with the fact that neither of us have perfect candidates. Like if we drew up a candidate, we would probably a lot of us maybe choose someone differently on both sides, perhaps. But we are both going to vote for the person that we believe is going to implement policies, vouch for policies that we think are best for the country. So let's just acknowledge that both sides are doing that, that uh, any accusations coming from the left to the right saying that you're ignoring all of these character flaws and gaffes and Trump. Well, so are you. So are you. And you are ignoring very real uh, accusations of sexual assault from one of his staffers, not when he was a young guy, but while he was uh, a senator. So let's just acknowledge that fact, okay? We're voting for the policies. We're voting for the administration. We're voting for the judges and the justices that are going to be nominated. Let's just acknowledge that. Um, So all of that said, I just wanted to go down that rabbit trail. You guys 
know where I'm coming from, and I'm not trying to hide that fact. I believe that conservative principles and conservative policies are best for every demographic, for every socioeconomic class, for every ethnicity um, in the country. And so that is why I stand behind them. And so I am not going to approach these 12 Mondays coming up for as someone who doesn't have that perspective. However, However, my goal is to give you the best and most comprehensive assessment of these issues that I possibly can. My desire is not to give you half-truths. It is not to exaggerate, even though uh, you know from the top that I don't uh, support Biden or Harris. Know that I am going to try to do my best to represent them accurately and explain as well as I can why I cannot vote for them. So if you listen to this and there is something that I say that is factually incorrect, then I want you to tell me. You have to articulate why it's factually incorrect. You have to actually point me to the source that tells me it's factually incorrect. I'm not just talking about um, a, a different opinion than mine. You can share that with me too. But if you tell me something that is factually incorrect that I say, or a description that I give, then I want you to, to tell me why I'm wrong, to point me to the source that proves that I'm wrong, and then I will correct myself on air. Because I do not, my desire is not to lie. It is not to cover up the truth. It is not to manipulate you. It is not to deceive you. That is not how I want to present uh, these cases, even knowing who I am, what I believe, what my worldview is, and my plans to vote for Donald Trump. Still, my desire is to give you the most factual rendering of these issues and of the positions that I possibly can. That is being charitable where I can, but also being harsh where I have to. And on this particular subject on abortion, there's going to be a lot of harshness. And I'm just going to warn you, it's going to be a little bit graphic. I know we talked a lot about this on Friday too, but it, it, it bears repeating. And because this is the first Monday in this series, um, I have to talk about abortion first because it is my first priority. It is uh, at top of mind whenever I am looking at a politician and whenever I am considering my vote. Uh, so it's going to to be a lot today. And I don't have a whole lot of charity to give to Biden and Harris on this subject simply because there isn't any there. Uh, there's just, there's no like benefit of the doubt to offer on this particular subject. But in the future, where I can offer that charity, where I can offer that benefit of the doubt, I promise I will. My desire isn't to fear monger. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be afraid, but my desire isn't to purposely, emotionally manipulate you or anything like that. I am going to try to be as factual as I possibly can. And also, because this is a Christian podcast, I'm going to try to give you a biblical perspective of things as well. I'm mostly talking to Christian women, and I am going to make the case for voting for uh, Trump and Pence, at least from uh, at least from my perspective. I understand there are a lot of people who are still going to disagree with me. I'm just going to lay out the truth. I'm going to lay out the facts. I'm going to lay out what both sides think. And then uh, my view of these things in a biblical perspective, as I said. Okay, we will get right back into that. But I first have to tell you about my friends at Simply Safe. So here's the thing about home security companies. A lot of them trap you with really high prices, with long contracts and all these sales gimmicks, and you almost just don't even want to deal with it. Like you'd rather your house be vulnerable than have to deal with some of these home security companies. That is why you need Simply Safe. It's in the name. It really is super simple, but it's also extremely effective. So Simply Safe's got everything you need to protect your home with none of the 
drawbacks of traditional home security. It's got an arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, window, and door tailored specifically for your home. Professional monitoring keeps watch day and night, ready to send police, fire, or medical professionals if there's an emergency. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. No technician required. And there's no contract, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees, no fine print. All this starts at $15 a month. I'm not the only one who thinks that Simply Safe is great. U.S. News and World Report named it the best overall home security of 2020. I love it. My parents love it. It's just a great security system. It really is as simple and as effective as they promise it to be. Try SimplySafe.com. That's simply with an I at the end. SimplySafe.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E. You get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose. That is SimplySafe.com slash Allie. Okay. So before I say why I care about abortion and why I believe Christians should care about abortion, let's just talk again very plainly about what abortion is. Abortion purposely kills a living baby. It really is that simple. There is no philosophical or moral nuance to add to that. Now, if you are a pro-choice person, maybe your friend sent you this episode and you're listening with bated breath and you are already mad, you are already frustrated and you are anticipating your disagreement with me, you probably take issue with describing abortion how I just described it. And I understand you would prefer me to say something like zygote or fetus to be more, you might say, scientific or accurate, but a zygote or a fetus is a baby in the same way that an infant is a child. Infancy is a stage of childhood, just as being a zygote or a fetus are stages in the life of a baby. So no, these are not inaccurate words that I'm using. And it's also not inaccurate to say fetus or zygote uh, when they're used in the correct way when talking about the correct stage in a pregnancy. So I have no problem with people using those words if even if they, they don't say baby, but realize that they are typically words that are used by pro-choice activists, not for the sake of accuracy, not for the sake of being scientific, but in an effort to sanitize and dehumanize. The word baby immediately elicits emotions and for most people, some sort of compassion, some sort of uh, soft-heartedness. So in order to make abortion more palatable, uh, that term, the term uh, baby, is typically avoided by abortion activists. You will notice on websites like Planned Parenthood, they won't say any of these words at all, actually. Instead, they use terms like pregnancy tissue or just tissue. Some websites will say, like, the contents of the uterus. This is a way of completely disregarding what the procedure actually is and who is involved. Uh, The more they can make you forget about or disregard the fact that abortion isn't just a trip to the dentist, but is actually the intentional killing of a living baby, the easier it is for them to market the procedure as empowerment, as autonomy, and as choice. The easier it is for them to convince mothers who are often very vulnerable uh, that they should get an abortion, that it's no big deal, and then they can take their money. It is the same reason why you cannot get an abortion activist or even an abortion provider to tell you specifically, at least publicly, what happens in an abortion. They refuse to describe the procedure. I sat next to 
the head of the Planned Parenthood in St. Louis when I was uh, testifying before Congress last November and the congressman kept pressing her to say what exactly happens in an abortion. How do you accomplish an abortion? And she would not do it. She wouldn't describe the procedure that she believes is just no big deal. That alone should just give you pause. It should just make you wonder when the people who advocate for a procedure won't even tell you how it works or exactly specifically what happens in the procedure, not just to the woman, not just to the uterus, but to the baby that is being killed when they refuse to acknowledge the scientific fact that abortion involves two human beings, when they rely on euphemisms and emotionalism like reproductive freedom and things like abortion is healthcare and bodily autonomy, that should tell you that what you're hearing is not science, it is propaganda. As uh, the far leftist Noam Chomsky rightly said, the whole point of good propaganda is that no one knows what it means because it doesn't mean anything. And that is true about phrases like reproductive freedom or bodily autonomy. They are nonsense when it comes to things like abortion, which is killing another human being. That's what abortion is. The abortion industry is propped up on propaganda. It has, uh, it has been extremely clever extremely uh, effective in manipulating our lexicon in their favor to make it sound like somehow killing babies in the womb is is the moral and the righteous and the liberating and the right choice. So since these pro-choice activists, though, logically, just to just to point this out, pro-choice is pro-abortion. And I understand, again, if you consider yourself pro-choice, that you probably take issue with that. But if you are against a certain kind of atrocity, you are not for the choice to do that thing. Like if you are against, as we all should be, if you are against rape, if you are against murder, if you are against assault, if you are against anything that hurts someone else, that hurts an innocent person, a victim, then you are not going to be for the choice to do that thing unless you are actually for that thing. So pro-choice is another, again, euphemism or sanitized way to say that you are pro the choice of abortion. You are pro-abortion. No, maybe you're not the kind of person who celebrates abortion. Maybe you're not the kind of person that's excited um, about abortion, but your position to vote for people that advocate for abortion and the freedom of abortion is a pro-abortion position. It just is. Now, these pro-choice activists, these pro-abortion activists, since they will not tell you what actually happens in an abortion, what goes on in these procedures in the first, second, and third trimesters, I will do that for you. Very rarely do you hear this, and I'm about to tell you it is, or I'm going, I'm telling you now that it is about to be um, a little bit graphic, unfortunately, and I've done this several times on my podcast, and I try to do it um, every couple months or so just because I think it's important for this to be pressed into our hearts and minds, this reality that is happening uh, thousands of times every day in this country. First trimester abortion is typically done by medication. Uh, Usually it is a three-step process. The first pill kills the baby by blocking progesterone, which is the hormone in a woman's body that keeps her pregnant. So if it blocks progesterone, that makes the uterus basically um, unlivable for the unborn child. The unborn child is basically starved and is unable to live because the, the Uh, The medicine breaks down the lining of the uterus, making it impossible for the baby to survive. A baby's heart starts beating, by the way, at at latest 
uh, six weeks. So we are talking about a baby with a beating heart being killed chemically. The second pill that the mom takes expels the baby from her uterus. Uh, Then she goes to the doctor to make sure the baby is out. If the baby isn't completely out of her womb, then the doctor or the abortion provider, it's not always a doctor, uh, they will suction out the rest of the baby out of the uterus. Um, Abortion in the second trimester. uh, Now, the second trimester is um, after 12 weeks, sometimes between 12 and 15 weeks, a chemical abortion is still possible. Now, I just want to remind you, for everyone who has never been pregnant before, if you get an ultrasound, at 10 weeks, you will see a baby with a head, eyes, beating heart, arms and legs, kicking and moving around. So for people who have never been pregnant before, like you might just picture this kind of lump that is there until like 20 weeks and then all of a sudden it looks like a baby. No, this looks like a baby very early on. Yes, that first uh, ultrasound that you get, they kind of look like a jelly bean, but they have that beating heart. The next ultrasound that you get, that's typically around 11 or 12 weeks. You got to move in, kicking around, tiny little baby flipping around. So that is the baby that we are talking about very often, even in the first trimester, 10, 11 weeks being killed chemically being basically poisoned or starved out chemically. So we're not talking, not that it matters to me morally, but we're not talking about just this clump of cells that uh, abortion activists like to pretend that babies are. It's never just a clump of cells, but even babies in the first trimester, they look like babies by the end of the trimester. But by the second trimester, they are significantly bigger. And so it is much more difficult to kill them uh, through a medical abortion or a chemical abortion. Um, so what happens is something typically called a DNE, a dilation and uh, e- evacuation. The abortionist dilates the cervix, uh, inserts something called laminaria to dry up the amniotic fluid in the uterus, which is what the baby needs to survive. Then the baby is either sucked out with a vacuum or if the baby is too big to be sucked out in the vacuum, so probably around 15 weeks, uh, she will be dismembered with forceps. So if the skull is too big, so they start taking out the arms and the legs by dismembering this baby with forceps. If the skull is too big to fit through the cervix, uh, the abortionist will actually crush the skull with the forceps to be able to remove this baby from the womb. Now, if the baby is big enough to live independently from the mother, they have to, quote, ensure fetal demise is what they call it in a in a different way. They first have to uh, take a needle that is filled with a chemical mixture, sodium chloride, and they go through the woman's abdomen into the baby's heart or umbilical cord. This poisons the baby and causes her to have a heart attack and die. Now, this is a very tricky procedure because babies at this gestation age are moving a lot and they can feel pain. So instead Instinctively, the baby flinches at the prick of the needle, naturally tries to move away from the needle. And so the doctor has to make sure that the needle goes straight into the heart, straight into the umbilical cord. They might uh, just fill the amniotic fluid with this poison. So the baby eventually dies. But this is supposed to cause a heart attack uh, so that the baby dies. After the baby is killed, he or she is then removed. Uh, This is typically the same procedure uh, for third trimester abortions as well. 
I understand people say, oh, well, that's so rare. Most abortions are done in the first trimester. Sure, most abortions are done in the first trimester. One, that doesn't make it right. Uh, Number two, there are abortions that exist, that happen in the second trimester, in the third trimester, every day, every year. Um, And so when people say, well, it's typically for, you know, the health of the mother, it's typically for the health of the child. They found out that the child isn't going to be viable. Tell me, tell me the justification that you make for murder in any other circumstance outside of the womb. Why is murder justified just for unborn babies in a way that we don't justify it towards babies outside of the womb? Because they're voiceless, because they're defenseless, just because they're located in the mother's womb. In the third trimester, there is no medical reason for a woman to have an abortion for her health. Because a baby is viable after 24 weeks, has a hard time surviving at 24 weeks, but up to 28 weeks, that baby has a really good chance. Or after 28 weeks, that baby has a really good chance of surviving outside the womb. So if a mom is sick, if there's something wrong with the mom, uh, any time after 24 weeks, even probably a little bit before that, you deliver the baby. If you need to get the baby out, you need to get the baby out. You don't have to kill the baby. Either way, the baby's coming out. So why would you have to kill the baby, which is often even more dangerous for the mother instead of just delivering the baby? So this myth saying that sometimes babies have to be aborted after 24 weeks, after that far along in the second trimester for the health of the mother, it's just a lie. It's a complete and a total lie. Uh, Abortion provider Leroy Carhart explained how he performs third trimester abortions by injecting the poison digoxin into the baby's heart and inducing labor a few days later so that by the time the dead limp baby exits the mother's womb, he is like, quote, meat in a crock pot. Infamously, abortionist Kermit Gosnell admitted to delivering full-term viable babies by inducing labor and then snipping their spinal cords as they were exiting the birth canal. So we're talking about babies that can feel pain. By the way, a baby can feel pain um, early in the second trimester, possibly before that. Uh, You might remember a couple years ago, an abortionist in Illinois died, and upon his death, authorities found more than 2,000 fetal remains, 2,000 babies that he had aborted. These people, they're not well. A renowned bioethicist, uh, Peter Singer, acknowledges the logical slope of uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion arguments. He says that killing a newborn baby is justifiable. This is what Peter Singer says, if the infant is not, quote, loved and cherished by their parents. So the fact is, none of the arguments that are used to justify abortion um, is unique to preborn babies. They therefore inevitably um, they leave our society vulnerable to the dehumanization of not just the preborn, but of people outside of the womb as well. That's just the logical conclusion to all of this eugenics. That's why uh, the person who started Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a eugenicist. It is still that way today. It is still the same logic. Uh, we have seen this logic manifest itself in abortion-centric rhetoric and even legislation. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam declared last year that a baby baby who survives an abortion would be, quote, delivered, kept comfortable and resuscitated if 
That is what the mother and the family desired. Otherwise, you leave that baby off to the side to die cold and alone, struggling for breath, instinctively reaching for his mother. Instead, Ralph Northam, the current governor of Virginia, said that you leave the baby off to the side to die rather than giving it life-saving care. In 2005, a mother attempted to undergo an abortion at 23 weeks gestation at EPOC Clinic in Orlando, Florida. Uh, She delivered her living, moving son in a toilet. She begged the staff to help, and they not only refused to help, but they turned away paramedics. She cradled her son and sang to him for 11 minutes until he died. So Gloria Williams sought an abortion in 2006. She delivered her 23-week baby at uh, uh, at GYN Diagnostic Centers. Sorry, in Halea, Florida, uh, Florida. When he began breathing and moving, the owner of the clinic reportedly quickly cut the umbilical cord and sealed the child in a biohazard bag still alive. Abortion clinic owner Belkis Gonzalez cut the umbilical cord um, and zipped him into that biohazard bag. When Jill Stenek, a former registered nurse, testified before the House Judiciary Committee working in the labor and uh, labor and delivery ward of Christ Hospital in Oakland, Illinois, She described what it was like to discover that babies who survived abortions were being placed in a utility closet to die. She said this, quote, I was traumatized and changed forever by my experience of holding a little abortion survivor for 45 minutes until he died, a 21, 22 week old baby who had been aborted because he had Down syndrome. Only six states require reporting of children who survive abortions. So that means that this is happening a lot more than we know. The CDC estimates that between 2003 and 2014, there were at least 143 babies who died after being born alive after an abortion procedure. There is a significant probability, like I said, that that number is much higher. Republicans uh, presented the Born Alive Infant Survivors Protection Act in the Senate. It criminalizes the failure of an abortion provider to provide medical care to a baby who survives abortion. So it requires them to treat that baby who survives an abortion just like they would any other patient. The bill was blocked by 44 Democratic senators in the House of Representatives. Democratic leadership refused Republicans 80 plus requests to bring the bill to the floor. Uh, The attitude on the pro-abortion side of this debate has shifted drastically in the past two decades from safe, legal, and rare, that's what Hillary Clinton used to say, to on-demand through nine months without apology. That is the current Democratic platform. Radical state abortion legislation presented under the guise of, quote, reproductive health have been passed in states like New York, where it is now legal to kill a baby in the womb until the point of birth, as long as the reasoning for abortion falls under the qualification of the, quote, life or health of the mother. Under Supreme Court case Doe v. Bolton, a life or health can really mean anything. It can mean mental health. It can be emotional health. It can be has a bad family situation. So read for any reason in New York, if you want to get an abortion late in pregnancy, it is legal to do so. And I know people say, oh, that is so rare. It doesn't matter that it's rare. If it's so rare and we agree that it's grotesque, then let's criminalize it. Let's make sure that it's not legal. In Illinois, the state legislature passed the Reproductive Health Act, which not only strips preborn babies of all gestational ages, of all of their legal rights, uh, but also repeals the state's Abortion Performance Refusal Act, which protected providers in hospitals who have moral objections to abortion from performing them. So it forces them to do it even if they don't want to. Last year, 
Virginia State Legislator Kathy Tran pushed a bill that would allow abortion per her own recorded admission in a video, even as a mother is in labor. Tran's bill uh, brings into focus the barbarism uh, of lax abortion law, that it dehumanizes life inside the womb through all stages. America is included on a list of only seven countries including China and North Korea, to allow abortion after 20 weeks gestation. After a child inside the womb, like I said, is known for sure to feel pain. Organizations like Abortion AF, Shout Your Abortion, Advocates for Youth and the Creative Council at the Center of Reproductive Rights claim to work to, quote, destigmatize and, quote, normalize abortion to boost support of their movement. A piece published by New York Magazine in May titled Abortion is Morally Good argues for the full embrace of a woman's so-called right to choose at every stage of pregnancy. An abortion rights organization in Texas created an advertisement for a billboard that read, abortion is self-care. Uh, Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the country. According to its own reports, is responsible for ending the lives of over 300,000 children of the over 900,000 children that are aborted every year. The organization recently fired their CEO, Leanna Wynn, because as she explained in a New York Times op-ed, she, quote, did not prioritize abortion enough. Democratic Pennsylvania lawmaker Wendy Ullman made headlines last year when she described an early miscarriage as nothing more than, quote, mess on a napkin. While her comments uh, did draw outrage from both sides, thankfully, if we're honest, her rhetoric, her logic is totally consistent with the current mainstream Democratic platform. There are mothers, we should acknowledge this, who face very grave challenges when it comes to childbearing, when it comes to child rearing. Um, this is due to their socioeconomic status, their relationship status, sometimes their immigration status or the status of their health care coverage. There are uh, disparities between the ethnicities when it comes to birth. The CDC found that the United States is already poor record on maternal health is especially bleak for black women who are 3.3 times more likely to suffer a pregnancy-related death than white women. Uh, furthermore, there are circumstances such as rape and incest that uh, may make continuing the pregnancy feel impossible. Pro-lifers do not ignore these facts. We simply do not believe abortion is the answer to them. Uh, these are all issues that I care about, that other pro-lifers care about. We hear this myth constantly that we're just pro-birth, and that could not be further from the truth. We talked about this on Friday. Pro-lifers have dedicated, we dedicate our our time, our energy, our resources, thousands and thousands of dollars every year to helping moms in need with food, with clothing, with baby items, with shelter, with parenting classes. The centers for these moms in crisis are not run by abortion activists. They are run in large part by pro-life Christians. Uh, the left tries to equate caring for moms and caring for these babies with agreeing with all of their leftist policy prescriptions. And that's just a false equation. I'm not, I'm not buying that. Like I will believe that you care for moms in crisis when you reach into your own pockets to help them rather than relying on bureaucrats on the government to do the job that you should be doing. That is when I will know that you care about the women that you claim to care about more than pro-lifers who are spending all their time and energy and resources making sure that mothers and babies are cared for. Uh, we want the best for women and their children. We are more than willing. I am more than willing. I can't speak for everyone. I am more than willing to come to the table and discuss solutions 
to the obstacles, to the disparities, to the travesties uh, that uh, that are unfortunately being suffered by a lot of women in this country that don't involve the solutions uh, that I'm uh, that I'm interested in. Don't involve pitting mothers against their babies. Uh, we simply believe that both of their lives are worth fighting for. We believe that women and children in the womb deserve better than abortion. That is what pro-lifers believe. God is very clear about this in his word. He is very clear about the value of all human beings, including those he created with care in the womb. God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I have formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That tells us something very obvious. God is doing the formation of babies in the womb, that he is sovereign over their lives, over their conception, over their formation in their mother's mother's womb. He knows everything about every baby in utero. They matter. Baby lives matter. They matter to God, period. Uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were created, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God creates. God crafts. He especially cares for babies in the womb. They are his creation. They are his gift. Every time we see um, reproduction in the Bible, every time we see a woman becoming pregnant, it is seen as a blessing. Jesus, of course, said, let the little children come to me. He cares for the most vulnerable. It's just amazing that the people who say that they advocate for the voiceless, They talk about Jesus coming for justice and Jesus coming for the oppressed. Do you not see that the most vulnerable, the most defenseless, the most voiceless, the most oppressed class in our country are unborn babies? Jesus cares about them. God created them. He crafted them. He cares for them. In Exodus 21, 22 through 25, God demands the death penalty for people who even accidentally hit a pregnant woman and caused the baby inside of her to die. So that simply shows that God sees that life as equal in value to any other life outside of the womb. A lot of people quote a passage in Numbers to say that, that justifies abortion somehow. It doesn't. Um, I encourage you to go to gotquestions.org and you can actually ask that specific question about that passage in Numbers and what it's actually talking about and it will explain it very well. Abortion is murder. It's murder to God. And if we had any decency as a society and in our laws, it would be murder to us too. Uh, The Bible is clear that thou shalt not murder. But unfortunately, seven men in 1973 decided that somewhere deep and hidden in the cracks and the crevices of the Constitution, there is a secret, magical, unarticulated right to abortion. It's just interesting how no uterus, no opinion apparently doesn't apply to the Supreme Court justices that decided on Roe v. Wade. So that's interesting. Uh, So what does all of this mean about my position on all of this? That means that I want pro-life Congress people who will actually work toward ensuring our tax dollars are no longer uh, longer helping fund uh, Planned Parenthood, who make plenty of money on their own. They don't need the millions and millions, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they get from taxpayers every year. We unfortunately don't have a whole lot of Republicans that uh, have the spine to do that right now. 
that is something that I care about. That's something that I want and someone that I vote for. I want an administration who protects the Hyde Amendment, which gives at least a little protection for the taxpayer for the taxpayer by saying that our money can't directly fund an abortion. Although there have always been ways, unfortunately, that abortion clinics have gotten around that. It means that I want pro-life federal judges and justices, which are nominated by the president, uh, approved by the Senate, who will ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. Overturning Roe v. Wade would not abolish abortion. It would allow the state to decide whether or not they're going to allow abortion. So right now, uh, because of Roe v. Wade, a state cannot ban abortion outright. And there are also, because of other Supreme Court cases, limits to the restrictions they can impose. But the people of a state should be allowed to decide if they want to treat abortion differently than they treat other kinds of murder by um, by allowing it. That is what it means when you say you want to overturn Roe v. Wade. I want the end of abortion forever. But before that happens, I want to ensure that my tax dollars don't support it and I want it to go back into the hands of the states. Is that ever going to happen? I don't know. But I want to elect people that will make that more likely. According to Pew Research, Trump has confirmed 194 currently active judges that is 24% of all active judges. The judges nominated by Barack Obama account for 39% of all active judges. So you see elections have major, major consequences. Trump has nominated constitutionalists for the most part, and Obama for the most part nominated leftist activists. Uh, the Trump administration changed a Title X rule that makes it harder for abortion providers to receive federal funds. NPR said this, quote, the Trump administration has issued its final draft of a rule that makes Sweeping changes to Title X, uh, the federal program that provides birth control and other reproductive health services, a.k.a. abortion, to millions of low-income Americans. So under the new rule, this is um, according to the HHS website, if a woman is pregnant, a Title X provider uh, may provide a list of comprehensive health care providers, including prenatal care providers, including some but not the majority who perform abortion as a part of a comprehensive health care practice. However... This list cannot serve as a referral for nor identify those who provide abortion. So under that new rule, any organization that provides or refers patients specifically for abortions is ineligible for Title X funding. That is a, a really good thing. So Planned Parenthood decided that they no longer wanted to receive Title X funding, um, which is really good news. So good job to the Trump administration. Uh, this is just meant to maximize choices and information for women rather than funding organizations like Planned Parenthood who often present abortion as the only or the best option with very little information to their clientele. This is not a gag rule. As a lot of them have said, it's simply ensuring that women actually get all the information that they need. So this is partly defunding these abortion clinics, which obviously is a very good thing. Now, uh, Susan B. Anthony list tracks what the um, what the president and his administration have done in the way of pro-life wins. And here are some of the things he's appointed pro-life judges, like I said, permitted states to defund planned parenthood of Title X funds like I just described. 
He stopped tax dollars uh, funding abortion overseas. President Trump not only reinstated the Mexico City policy, but expanded it to the new Protecting Life in Global Health Assistance program. This new policy ensures that our tax dollars are protected from funding the abortion industry overseas across all global health spending. This is something that Democrats, every Democratic president has repealed, um, has overturned the Mexico City policy uh, since Ronald Reagan, but Republicans always reinstate it. And President Trump reinstated that. And then he also expanded it. He defunded the pro-abortion UNFPA. The UNFPA, according to Susan B. Anthony List, has long been complicit in China's oppressive population control activities, and they help fund abortion and support abortion around the world. Uh, The Trump administration required health insurance companies to disclose if plans cover abortion. Um, So that's important for people to know when you are signing up for an insurance company or an insurance policy. Uh, to know what you are essentially subsidizing. There was a new rule issued by the Departments of HHS, Treasury, and Labor that exempts uh, private employers and educational institutions that have sincerely held religious beliefs or moral objections uh, against providing contraceptives or abortifacient drugs. The previous administration, the Obama administration, um, they tried to make that mandatory that even religious organizations had to cover um, had to cover uh, birth control or abortifacient drugs that did not align with their religious beliefs. But Trump's HHS, um, their new rule exempted these religious organizations from doing so. Uh, strong pro-life appointments to key positions, including Vice President Mike Pence, Counselor to the President Kellyanne Conway, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Um, new Office for Conscience Protection at HHS. In May 2019, the Trump administration finalized new regulations to strengthen enforcement of federal laws, protecting the conscience rights of healthcare workers who do not want want to participate in abortion allowed states to defund Planned Parenthood of Medicaid funds. Um, The Obama administration attempted to prevent states from defunding Planned Parenthood of Medicaid dollars, issuing guidance claiming this may be a violation of federal law. In January of 2018, the Trump administration rescinded this guidance, allowing states to defund Planned Parenthood of Medicaid dollars as they see fit. Cut Planned Parenthood's tax funding by up to $60 million, allowed Texas to fund a health program that does not send funds to abortion businesses, Uh, Canceled huge contract for taxpayer-funded experimentation with body parts of aborted babies. In June 2019, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services under Trump and the National Institutes of Health announced they would not renew a major contract with the University of California, San Francisco, to fund research using the body parts of aborted babies. You would think that would be obvious, but of course, Democrats were not for that. Um, Took action against California for violating conscience protections. In January 2020, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced that it will take action against California for violating the Weldon Amendment by discriminating against organizations that do not cover abortion in their health care plans. Um, he clarified that abortion is not a civil right. In June 2020, Trump administration, uh, the Trump administration finalized a new rule to clarify that the federal definition of sex discrimination under Obamacare, the uh, ACA, does not include abortion. Proposed last year, the new rule brings ACA regulations into compliance with longstanding conscience protection laws. Of course, we know that he is also the first president to speak at the March for Life. So as far as policies go, whatever he has ever thought personally about abortion, because he was at one point pro-choice, as far as policies go, the Trump administration has been extremely pro-life 
even more pro-life than the Reagan administration. And that is saying a lot because Reagan was probably the most personally pro-life president that we've ever had. And Donald Trump policy-wise, his administration is the most pro-life anti-abortion administration that we have ever had. All right, I got to take one more break to tell you guys about Fundrise. So we have heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio. We've heard about stocks and bonds and mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you have ever looked at the breakdown of someone who actually has a successful portfolio, you will typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't it one of the first asset classes that you consider when you are looking to diversify? Because it actually hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now, and that is thanks to Fundrise. They make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or you are looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here is how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you are looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has got you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 87 to 12.4% annual returns that investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. That is incredible. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of your real estate, uh, all of their real estate projects. And with their easy to use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. Start building your better portfolio today. Get started at fundrise.com slash relatable to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That is fundrise.com slash relatable to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Fundrise.com slash relatable. All right. Let's talk about quickly uh, what Kamala Harris and what Joe Biden think of abortion. So Kamala Harris um, has been touted now for the past few days as a conservative, as someone who is tough on crime, as someone who um, is a moderate. That could not be further than from the truth. A 2019 YouGov study found that according to her votes, she was the most liberal member of the Senate in 2019, even further to the left. Then self-proclaimed socialist Bernie Sanders, the most, according to her votes, liberal senator in 2019. She is not a moderate. There is a National Review article titled Kamala Harris's uh, Abortion Absolutism by Alexandra DeSanctis. And it says this, quote, she is without question the most radically pro-abortion candidate to run for president or vice president in the history of our country. As a senator, Harris has co-sponsored the most aggressively pro-abortion piece of federal legislation ever introduced, the Women's Health Protection Act, which would override state restrictions on abortions in the last three months of pregnancy well after fetal viability. The bill would invalidate any state law that prohibits, quote, abortion after fetal viability when, in the good faith medical judgment of the treating physician, continuation of the pregnancy would pose a risk to the pregnant woman's life or health. Again, life or health, according to Doe v. Bolton, can mean anything related to emotional or mental health. So um, again, that means for any reason. 
The article in National Review goes on. Harris, it is worth noting, noting, seems to have little problem with allowing newborns to die of neglect should they survive an abortion procedure. She has twice voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would require doctors to provide the same care to infants who survive abortions as they would to any other newborn. The legislation would also make it impossible for states to enact or enforce informed consent laws and waiting period requirements, which have have often been upheld by courts as permissible under our current abortion jurisprudence. So this legislation presented by Kamala Harris would make it um, impossible for states to say, hey, if you're going to provide an abortion to someone, you have to tell them what it is. You have to actually inform them of the procedure. You have have to actually give them their options. You have to give them a period of time to where they can think about it. Kamala Harris wants to make that illegal so much for uh, federalism. As the article says, there is an article in The Federalist uh, that says this, quote, David Delighton, the founder of the Center for Medical Progress, released explosive under cover videos that led to House and Senate investigations. The 2016 removal of Planned Parenthood from the Texas State Medicaid program, the prosecution of tissue procurement companies. Needless to say, it was a poor PR moment for the single largest abortion provider in the U.S. What David Delighton found, of course, is that Planned Parenthood in California is harvesting and selling uh, aborted baby parts. In 2016, Kamala Harris launched an investigation. She was Attorney General of California on Delighton, and the current Attorney General saw the investigation through. Delighton was slapped with nine state felony charges, and a federal jury in San Francisco delivered a $2.2 million verdict against Delighton and fellow investigator Sandra Merritt for conspiring to commit fraud and violating state and federal recording laws. In 2016, Delighton's apartment was raided and the CMP said Harris's office seized video files from Delighton's uh, apartment as well as personal information. Of course, this should be his speech should be protected by the First Amendment, but apparently Harris doesn't care about that. She uh, had a secret in-person meeting when she was a senator with Planned Parenthood executives in Los Angeles, including witnesses in her investigation to discuss issues in the investigation as part of Planned Parenthood's political agenda in California. Two weeks later, Delighton's home was raided by the California Department of Justice. So that is Kamala Harris. Harris has called for the repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which, as we have already uh, discussed, protects taxpayers from being forced to fund abortions. She supports codifying Roe, which would prompt Congress to establish an affirmative and statutory right to abortion, prohibiting states from enacting restrictions. Harris also promotes a plan that would force states and localities to seek prior approval and clearance through the U.S. Department of Justice before placing any limits, any limits or restrictions whatsoever on abortion. So she believes that states should have to go through the Department of Justice. And of course, when she is uh, VP, I'm sure that she will unfortunately have much sway and um, she will they will have to get approval from uh, the Biden Harris DOJ to place any limits or restrictions on abortions. That is what Kamala Harris is for. She has received a hundred percent rating from pro-abortion group NARAL. Uh, she believes she has said that abortion is healthcare, but she has also said that healthcare should be single payer, aka it should be paid for completely by the taxpayer. She doesn't believe that we should have any private insurance at all. She actually said um, in a town hall when she was campaigning back when she thought that she was going to become president, she said that, um, you know, we should just cut through all of the stress of going through insurance companies and everyone should just be on the same public plan 
as if, as if going through bureaucracy, going through the government is going to go more smoothly than going through a private health insurer. Um, just to remind you, uh, single-payer health care is a terrible idea. We have done an entire episode labeled or titled healthcare. We will do another one in the lead up to the election, but you don't get any choice. You don't get any choice in your quality of care. You don't get any choice in the kind of doctor that you want. Everyone is brought down to the lowest common denominator, and we are all on the same healthcare. If so, if she believes that abortion is healthcare, that healthcare is a human right, and that healthcare should be paid for by the taxpayer, and that we shouldn't have any private insurance, everyone is on single payer healthcare, which has always been a disaster by the way, um, then that means that she believes in forcing you and I to pay for abortion, which we know. Uh, Joe Biden, he is also for repealing the Hyde Amendment. Uh, He will fight to make sure that even religious organizations are forced to cover abortion screenings and birth control, just like Obama did, endorsed by NARAL, endorsed by Planned Parenthood. In 2006, he voted no to the Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act, which would require abortion providers to inform parents of minors that their child is attempting to get an abortion out of state, extremely pro-abortion for a long time. Last year, he was denied Holy Communion by a Catholic Church in South Carolina for his rabid, radical stance on abortion. His administration, the justices, the judges that he nominates, the executive orders that he issues will be radically, will be rabidly in support of making it as easy as possible to slaughter unborn babies and as difficult as possible for states to place any common sense restrictions on that. They will codify Roe v. Wade so that states will never be able to restrict abortion in any way. And this will be celebrated. Let's not pretend that most of the left sees abortion as some kind of necessary evil or some sad thing. It is a key part of their platform. It is why at women's marches, people are wearing I heart abortion and abortion AF t-shirts. And if you're not down with that, if that's not you, if you are not down with the party and the platform that celebrates and glorify baby murder, then maybe it's time to reconsider your political affiliation. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about XYZ with Republicans? What about Trump doing this? What about what's happening at the border? What about social justice and and racial justice and police brutality? We're going to get to all of that. Don't you worry. Now, this is enough for me. Like, if this were the only issue on the table, this would be enough for me at least not to vote for Democrats. Um, I will never, ever, ever vote for a politician or a party, Republican or Democrat. I don't care what letter is by their name who supports the slaughter of unborn babies. I just, I just won't do it. It matters too much to me. It matters too much to God. It is too grotesque and brutal to think that we allow that, that there's an entire political party that celebrates that. And then there's another political party that in large part, at least in Congress, is too spineless to do anything about it. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. So again, as I've said before, you know, I love this country. I love the values that we were founded upon, Uh, but you don't have to tell me that this country doesn't necessarily mean liberty and justice for all when we are killing thousands of babies every day. I know it. And I am always going to elect the person, um, that believes in doing whatever we can and preventing that in making that as illegal as possible. It's murder. Of course it should be illegal. Okay. Um, that is it for today. Uh, if you guys haven't purchased my book, 
you're not enough and that's okay. Escaping the toxic culture of self-love. Make sure you go to AllieBethStuckey.com slash book. You guys have been just so amazing in your feedback and just love you guys so much. And I'm so encouraged by all of you. Thank you to all of you who have joined Allie's book club or women's book club with Allie Stuckey on Facebook. We will be discussing that starting this Sunday. So that is super exciting. A lot of you have uh, gotten the book and you sat down and you literally just finished reading it that day or listening to it on Audible that day, which is just so amazing. I will have a study guide available for you guys and I'm so excited for you to have that. I will be posting about it soon. Okay, I will be back here on Wednesday. 